All right, well, we're back. This is Arden. This is Sasha. And but- today we're doing Battle of the Labyrinth, bitches. Pretty pumped. Honestly, I liked it better than I did, I think, when I read it as a kid. I never hated it, but it was always one that I was kind of, like, more so-so on. I mean, I love them all, but you know what I mean, like... And this is going to be funny, but when I was a kid, you know all the pit stops they make in the labyrinth where they go above ground? Yeah. I thought all that shit happened underground. Like, the ranch, I thought the ranch was fully underground. I thought, (laughs) when I read it the first time, I thought they spent a lot more time in the labyrinth than they actually did. Really? It's just, like, a fast travel station. (laughs) Where they, like, like in video games, where they just, like, jump from place to place. Yeah, honestly, I think I liked Battle Labyrinth maybe better the first time I read it. Um, sorry, everybody, she distracted me by passing me the joint. But, you yeah, know, I think I liked it better. Living a first puff, time. puff, pass only world, because, girly. Only because this book was literally my favorite. And when you're reading something, like, it's still a fucking amazing, but it was my favorite when I was younger. And it's like, you just can't live up you to that You can't top that. Yeah, like, I can't. definitely experienced. That childhood appreciation of a book, like, you can't surpass that level of adoration towards a book. Yeah, not not with something like that was like literally like a childhood series. I think like no, this is I a felt, life series. Okay. I felt similarly with Titan's Curse. Honestly, like I love Titan's Curse, but there was like a specific magic to it when I read it as a kid that like doesn't totally exist now. But I still like love it. Like, but don't get me wrong, Last Olympian. That one is even better. That one I'm so pumped for. I'm so pumped for the Last Olympian, bro. Like, it's just all gonna come together. There's a cliffhanger at the end of Battle of the Labyrinth, too, which is crazy. What was the cliffhanger? It's with Nico. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess we can start with the end, but, you know, Percy's having the birthday party, and then Nico, Nico shows Nico up. Nico shows up! Hello! Uh, the only friend Nico's of Percy's like, hey, to show up, except for Tyson. Well, what do you mean, the only friend of Percy to show up? Because all of his other friends can't show up, or, like, they can't. For his birthday? Yeah. Like, Talk he makes Annabeth, a point. Bro. You know, you really let me down. I was like, girl, you're waiting for another two weeks to go home. Like, anyway, like, pull up. Come on. But there are, like, emotional reasons why she doesn't, which we can get into. But love that Nico shows up. Love that for him. And but also hate that for him because that probably made his feelings for Percy so much worse. <laughs> Being like, I have now seen your bedroom. You are a <laughs> full-blown crush. <laughs> it and is an like, obsession. Well, Nico shows up and he's, like, dressed, like, differently. Like, he's, like, a little older looking, kind of, Percy says. And yeah, and Percy says he looks He's got like a new death. fit. Yeah, well... He looks worse in some ways, better in others. It's a mixed bag. And always. he's got his sword on his hip. Yeah. He's like flat. He's got like a ring too the when he shows ring. up. The skull ring. Like he's wearing all black. Like this is a bad boy. This is bad boy energy. Repping a hard bad boy energy at 11 years bad old. Bad boy supreme? But he's, he's not really quite a bad boy supreme because his relationship with Percy isn't antagonistic enough for long enough. But, like, he channels, like, the aura. It's almost Thalia-esque in some way. Yeah. Nico no. and Thalia have a lot of similarities similar. as characters. Um, Nico's just a little bit more depressed and she's a little bit more angsty. Yeah. I mean, he's very angsty, too. Thalia's just angsty more, like, depressed. Expressive. She's angsty angry. Yeah, that's what it is. She, her anger is very different. But he shows up and he's like, I got a way to defeat Luke. And it might be the only way. And then Percy's like, why don't you come inside, Nico? <laughs> no, Percy's literally, <laughs> Percy's literally like, you want some cake? We got extra. Like, there, there are some points in the series where you're literally like, you sound like a 14 or 15 year old. Hey, you want to come inside? We got some blue cake for you. He is 14 at this point, though. Yeah. Well, or 15. Percy's 15, yeah. Well, he's, yeah, he just turned 15. So yeah. 
I don't really count you as the age that you are until at least six months after your birthday. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. I can understand why you would do that. But I guess we can talk about Nico, like, just while we're at it. Because Nico's in this book, like, a decent amount. Like, he's there for a lot of, like, really key scenes, basically. And he's, like, yeah. integral to the plot. He's really wrapped up in the Dedalia stuff in ways that you don't really expect him to be when you start the book. Because of the Minos situation. Nico is simply, like, Nico is who I aspire to be. <laughs> um, actually, maybe not, because Nico doesn't end up getting Percy. Yeah. I want, I want whoever ends up That's the Percy, L. That's the which L. Which is Annabeth. But Nico is just, I adore him so much. I really do. I adore him in a way that's different than Percy. Like, Percy, it's like, you're the love of my life, you just don't know it yet. But Nico is like, you've been through so much, kid. Like, you've been through so much. And everyone in the series has been through so much, but Nico is the one that was affected the most by all that he went through. I think that that's definitely, like, what the vibe is supposed to be. He's also, I mean, Annabeth, like, a lot of shit happens to her, like, starting at seven, which is, like, a whole other type of trauma that I don't even understand. But, like, Nico's 11, which is, like, the next closest. He's 10, actually, in Titan's Curse. So that's, like, the next closest, next youngest age range we have for a demigod just getting, like, the absolute shit well, beat out of their life. Percy did ha- go through a lot, though. On every yeah, but, age. like, Percy, no. Um, but what and I'm counting is when you find out you're a demigod and when your life gets worse because of that. Like, Percy had a shitty home life. Yeah. But, like... I mean, Percy's life just progressively gets worse. Like, like yeah, but I'm, I'm saying this die. is... No, I'm, I'm saying, not, I'm not, not arguing to, with I'm you about saying, the age. I'm the saying, age is significant. I'm saying, when he hits 12 and finds out he's a demigod, damn, his his life goes to, goes to his, all his gets sorts rocked, of hell. Like, like, way worse than Nico, because Nico, like, Nico loses, okay, maybe equal to Nico. Yeah, I, I was would say worse, like, come because on, Nico man. goes through a lot of That's death, rude. but Percy goes through, <laughs> Percy goes through <laughs> a lot of, like, life hardships. <laughs> Nico's like a fucking orphan, basically, whose dad, like, doesn't like him. Yeah, but also, like, part of Nico's issue is that is Nico's fault. Like, he doesn't Oh my god, to... no. He's 10. I'm sorry. We're not pulling this bullshit. <laughs> I refuse. No, they okay. get into that in House of Olympus and Trials of Apollo that, like, part of it is his fault. Like, he isolated himself. Yeah, but, come on, man. There's so, there's so much shit teenagers do that is a part of a self-destructive behavior, like, cycle. It doesn't mean that, like, their lives are less shitty because I'm not saying it's, his like, life self-destructive. Is less shitty. I'm not saying his life is less shitty at all. I'm saying it's just different. My point is that his life was especially devastating as a 10-year-old in ways that are, like, startlingly young for the characters in the series. But also, the things he went through are very different than the things they went through. Yeah, but they still fucking suck. Like, I think that what puts Nico sort of ahead of everyone else is just that he's experienced way more death. Like, very close related, closely related ties dying. Like, his mom, his sister. Well, if you think about it from, like, the Annabeth lens, though, like, when she's seven, like... Thalia dies. But that's that is still not your mom or your sister. Oh no, definitely not. But like but also Annabeth was age. seven and the only person who she who she had as a sibling or parental image at that point was Thalia. Like Thalia was like fulfilling that role for a seven year old Annabeth. You know what I mean? But yes, Nico loses his sister. But I think it's worth noting, okay, Nico's life is ass, Nico's life sucks. He loses his sister. He doesn't lose like three people or something like i feel like the way that you're talking about his life being surrounded by death it's like yeah like his sister died no but at that point his sister is all he has like literally all he has is his 
Okay, you okay, imagine. okay. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> but it's not like he like... had any other friends or anything. He didn't even have a school to go to anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair. Because, like, no one was, like, helping him get back, like, reintegrated into society, really. No, and even, like, when he first got to Camp Half-Blood, no one was really welcoming him. There's like, who is this strange, annoying little boy? Oh my god, and honestly, like, while we're talking about that, like, at the end of Battle of the Labyrinth, there's this really, like, kind of moving scene, almost, where Percy and Nico are talking about why Nico, like, won't come to camp when he's leaving camp, basically. And Nico makes the point that, like, Hades does not have a cabin, Hades is not welcomed in Camp Half-Blood. Nico is, like, canonically, like, the first child of Hades to step foot in Camp Half-Blood because it didn't exist when he was born, I'm pretty sure. And that being said, Nico and Luke are probably, like, most people just put it down to Luke being Percy's, like, primary interest when he tells the gods his wish that they, like... He's fully thinking about Nico. Like, this, that sets that up because Percy starts to think of the ways that Camp is unwelcoming to fellow... Okay, third book, like, is Percy realizing the responsibility of heroes to the world around them, not just to gods fourth book percy starts to think about how the camp and the gods are slighting other demigods and mortals are also coming into like consideration in his worldview as well and calypso too like the fourth book sets up so much the fourth book is more closely related to the fifth book than the third book yeah it's like progressively increasing but what i mean is like exponentially increasing as well the third book introduces the idea that Percy should feel responsibility. Then the fourth book really introduces things he should feel. He needs to change. Yeah, he starts to identify what he feels responsible for. And then in the fifth book, you see him execute that, like, in ways that are about his community and not just the gods. And that's super cool. And, like, Nico, Calypso as well, but, like, Nico is a really significant part of that in this book because Nico doesn't feel welcome at camp. And I know Rick, like, at this point, I don't think he's writing Nico to be gay. Like, I think that's something that's not necessarily retconned, but I think it's imagined later. Yeah. But in hindsight, like, it's a it's subtext that's fitting, I think, too. Like, Rick, I don't think, like, Rick would never go into, like, whether or not, like, Camp Half-Blood has, like, homophobia problems. And I'm sure, like, in the Apollo series, like, they make it explicit that, like, Camp Half-Blood is, like, pro, like, gay people. Like, that's just what I assume the route he's taking is. Yeah. But, like, it would make sense for Nico to feel uncomfortable, like, around a bunch of other teenagers raised in America in the early 2000s. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's just, like, by Trials of Apollo, it's, like... Will Solace is gay, and he's been there. He was in Camp Half Blood yeah. in the first series, and he was very accepted. It's just that you don't find out until later that he's gay. But it's not like it's not like Nico, where the change is as drastic. Like you're just like, oh yeah, like Will could, Will could be gay, and I well, Will isn't about, a, but even Nico, a character. In he the is. First he's char- no. He's character in the Last Olympian. And well, all. what I mean is, he's literally a name on a page who does like a minor thing. Like that's what I mean. <laughs> you know, he's not like. I feel like he he's not a character thing. in the he same way Nico and, is. Oh wait, I can't say. He's, he literally saved a major character's life at one point. Okay, well, Olympian. my point is that he's still, like, a major character. Like, he's a background character. He, like, not even supporting. Like, I know that he does, like, good amounts of yes. stuff in Last Olympian, but it, he's not, like, Nico or something. No. Or even Zoe. Though he does push Zoe! See? Don't remind me! <laughs> but anyway, like, do we know when, at what age Will comes out? I doubt we know that. I haven't read Charles Apollo, and I doubt that that's discussed explicitly. No, but I haven't seen it yet. Because it's, like, possible by, like, that during the events of Percy Jackson, Will is not out, but comes out around the same time as Nico. Like, we don't know the details. 
Maybe we do. So. Maybe these things have been talked about. I don't think so, though. Not that I'm aware of. But anyway, my point is that, like, Rick clarifies, I think, later that Camp Half-Blood is, like, a good place for people to live because of, like, escapism. But when you're more in line with, which is, like, kind of the Heroes of Olympus vibe, but when you're more in line with the Percy Jackson, like, more closer to, like, what's going on, Nico being, like, the one who feels, like, like, his ostracization, like, feeling yes, like I do an outcast, think that that, it I, lines up. But I think that honestly ended up just being, just, like, that ended up being something that came out of it. But I don't think that Rick ever thought about it that deeply. No, I don't think so either. I just think it's one of those things that, like, kind of aligns kind of nicely. Yeah. Just because, like, Nico feeling out of place because of his godly parent is just a huge theme. And it makes sense that he feels out of place in other ways. Like, he's so much a character, like, apart from the Nico rest. is just so different in every aspect. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, there's some ways that he clearly, like, has, like, internal problems <laughs> with that. Like, yeah. with the Hades thing, like, he feels like he'll never be accepted by other demigods. Like, I think in this book that's him starting to come to terms with, like, he can't really be part of the demigods because of who he is, like, as a big three kid, but as, like, the big three kid of Hades. Like, it's very interesting. Percy just gets along with everyone so well. I know. And, like, Percy, like, does do what he can in this book to make Nico, like, feel at home and to, like, invite him into Camp Hoffblood and to, like, call, care about him. Would you call Percy an extrovert? Um, I don't know. I don't really think we have enough information. What? Enough. Well, we don't just see what Percy does in his free time when he has a choice between hanging out indoors or, like, hanging out with friends. Like, the extrovert-introvert stuff is all about, like, the energy you get from your social interactions. But, like, Percy doesn't really have casual social interactions. Like, he always has to be high energy because he's always, like, his life is in danger. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, we don't really see him on just his, like, normal day-to-day -day life. And, like, anything... I feel like he'd be extroverted, but he'd kind, of feel, he'd kind of be that popular guy that's not crazy talkative all the time, but he's just, like, chill, laid back, but he's extroverted. I, you like, all know who he is. I would obviously say that he's, like, extroverted, but, yeah, like, how much of me being, like, he's extroverted is actually just ADHD symptoms. <laughs> but then it's that's also, true, like... You true. know what I mean? Like, so I maybe... Say, I feel like that's the type of extroverted I am. He's the type of extroverted I am. And I'm ADHD, so... Yeah. I'm glad that you created your own list of things that you wanted to ask, and that was one of them. Did I? <laughs> no. Oh. Bro, you plan ahead. I know I plan ahead. I, I think on the fly, and I think that the people like that. The like, <laughs> two people that have probably seen all the of them. Two people that to these, yeah. All right, well, what do you want to talk about next? Because we spent a lot of time on Nico. Well, what were you talking about with Annabeth? Um, why she didn't show up to Percy's birthday? Oh, yeah, we should honestly... Percybeth gets kind of angsty in this book. I really didn't realize that. Is that, that why she didn't show up to his birthday? I think though? part of it is, yeah. At the end of the book, they end the book on... Percy makes a note where it's like, it feels weird to be apart from Annabeth, but also weird to be with her. I think there's just this kind of like anxiety or like tenseness in the way that their relationship is changing that both of them are kind of like kind of avoid talking about by the end of the book. And it puts them in like a weird spot, especially because of the Rachel of it all. But it's so weird because at the beginning of the book, if you remember like Percy is coming out from school he's planning on going to the movies with Annabeth like it's, yeah. it's basically well, like a teenage date exactly well what I mean is like and when Percy starts and his mom like he's insisting to his mom that it isn't a date Percy is still thinking about it in these very simple ways but by the end of it his relationship with Annabeth he doesn't really totally understand like it's becoming so it's becoming so much more messy than it was just like a few weeks ago when he was like kind of a normal teenager 
it's so weird how relationships basically get messy like that when you realize that they're a little bit more than just a friendship but then by the time that you truly like settled into it and you're like it's okay this is a relationship then you're like just as chill as you were before <laughs> you get what I mean? Well, yeah, there's, like, an anxiety that comes with, like, Like, sometimes I feel like I feed off of the anxiety. <laughs> I think that that's, like, true for, like, a lot of people. Like, I, lo- I think a lot of people are, like, they like that weird in-between state and they don't like the static, like, normalcy, basically. Like, I think that's why some people pursue, like, really intense, like, friendship relationships. I don't know, though. Bro, don't make me out to be toxic. I'm not talking about you. Or anyone specifically, but, like... Yeah, I just mean that, like, Percy and Annabeth are just, I think, in this book in a really weird place. Like, she kissed him, and then they did not speak a word about it. That's true, they didn't! They they don't address it at all. Because, basically, she kisses him, and then, like, the next scene is him him coming back from him with calypso and then him coming back and then him being like let's go get rachel and And then that's like what the fuck and (laughs) he mentions in there that like she knows that he was on calypso's island and she knows that she knows that he was on calypso's island and she she also knows that he was trying to hide it from her no she doesn't know but remember he's talking to kyron and he's like does she know where i was and kyron's like no but she's heard enough greek myths to have a pretty good idea well that's why i'm saying like she basically knows that he was on calypso's island and he didn't even explain it to her that's exactly the crazy part. he doesn't from my knowledge he doesn't and even he doesn't explain it to her until like after last olympian happened and he doesn't tell her that that's where he like was which i'm not saying he was like is under some like obligation and didn't calypso but... kiss him too or maybe it was on the cheek or something. I feel like it was something, yeah, like, on the cheek or something, maybe. But when but... Rachel kissed him, I want, I wanted to bitch we'll, slap her, We'll get to that yet. later. But, yeah, like, that happens, and then there's, like, clearly, like, this love triangle issue between Rachel, Annabeth, and Percy that everyone can see. And then on top of that, the Luke situation at the end of the book, like, drives Annabeth, like, into, like, this pretty bad, like, grief stage. And she and Percy, like, almost fight about it a couple times. But basically, they both know that they want to fight about it or they want to, like, talk. They both know that it's, like, an insane situation. Um, But Percy, like, knows that if he tries to ask her about it, she'll, like, ice him out, basically. And, like, they both know that that's the case. Like, that is so insane that that is happening on top of the Rachel stuff, happening on top of just the two of them stuff. Like, they literally cannot be just a normal teenage developing relationship. Like, I hadn't really thought about that until talking about this with you, but, like, that's absolutely insane. They end this book in a weird fucking place. But it's crazy to think about- And that's why she's not at the birthday party. Yeah, because at that point she's even like, is he my fucking friend? Yeah. (laughs) But it's crazy to think about how they go from, like, that weird-ass place to, like, Heroes of Olympus when they are just, like, lovey-dovey, like, oh, we're just in a relationship, we're just comfortable with each other. I'm, like, so excited to see how they develop over the last Olympian, honestly. It's like, it gets them in there a little bit more, but not, like, how they feel in Last Olympian makes it feel like they're at least a year-old relationship. But really, they're only, like, a couple months old, and he was- he had amnesia for half of that! He was literally <laughs> gone for, like, eight months. Oh my god, the amnesia thing. The amnesia. Speaking of, guess who we meet in this book? Raina! No, not Raina! Not this book, bro! No, it's Tara! Tara! <laughs> bro. No, uh, sorry. Raina appears in Sea of Monsters, though. Yeah, she does. Um, do, do they tell her your name in that, though? They say Hyla, yeah. But, but not Raina. Not Raina, no. 
But Hera's in this book, and... And they really, they fucking think she's their friend for a while. She she plays nicely for a while, and then... Honestly, she's even playing pretty nicely by the end. Oh, okay, that was something that was weird for me. I read that ending scene, and I was like, okay, is this just me? Or, like, do I think that these kids are kind of overreacting a little? But what did she actually do again? That's what I'm trying to remember. So, like... <laughs> what did she do? Oh my god! Open the book, bro. We have the book for a reason. It's like something not that crazy offensive. I feel like. Okay, here it is. I I have the scene already. Oh, this is this is the last scene with Percy and Annabeth together, basically, yeah. and they're talking about the prophecy. And Annabeth is like, Percy, stop for a second. The prophecy, stop. And Percy's like, I'm sorry, I just have to. Anyway, so Hera shows up. And she's like, you found the answers, as I knew you would. Your quest was a success. And oh. then that's what pisses Annabeth off. Because Annabeth is like, why didn't you just tell us? Is that why? Hold on, let me see. Okay, so Hera was the one who paid... I remember reading this shit as a kid and this rocking my world. So, like, she's the one who paid Garyon to let them through the ranch. And she didn't give a shit about Nico. Oh, it's like the not giving a shit about Nico. That's the turning point, I think. And then she was like, no one wants him around. That's basically what it is that pisses them off. Oh. Um, is that she didn't care about Nico. Yes, after hearing Hephaestus tell the story about how Hera threw him off Olympus and realizing how Hera was dismissive of Nico, Annabeth accuses Hera of only wanting a perfect family and claims that the goddess doesn't care about her older brother Hades' side of the family. Hera responds with rage and states that Annabeth will regret being so dis disrespectful towards her. She proceeds to curse Annabeth with her sacred animals, causing cows to bother her all year, and having to defecate everywhere. The um, cow is not Annabeth. Yeah, and she claims that her jealous behavior is all in the past, and she and Zeus have received excellent marriage counseling. Yeah, she mentions that. Nevertheless, book. when Percy mentions Thalia, she casts a dangerous look and refers to her with a sneer. So basically, Annabeth's like, you, Annabeth's like, you don't like family, you only like perfect family. And you don't yeah. give a shit about anything that's not perfect. Which, honestly, like, I feel like that's kind of a boring characterization choice for Hera. I feel like, well, I think Rick probably thought it would be an interesting way into, like, Hera just as, like, a jealous, like, woman, you know what I mean? And also, Annabeth being, like, totally in love with her imperfect family, her Thalia and Luke. Yeah, no, that's honestly really true. It is a nice contrast because, like, Hera doesn't have any demigods, right? Hera doesn't like demigods. She doesn't like most heroes. And the demigods are, like, all part of this imperfect family. Like, they are all people Hera would rather probably just not exist as, like, mm -hmm. a goddess of the family. Like, I mean, I think more she would like that? for there only to be gods mm -hmm. and only, like, gods and humans. And, like, you know your place. Not like you're in the middle. Mm -hmm. Well, like, a lot of these demigods, like, how they come into being, like, disrupts, like, certain marriages the gods already have or like human Hera... relationships like stuff like that so yeah she doesn't have any demigod children no because she's like loyal to zeus it's sad because a lot of the women goddesses are like maiden gods which they talk about in this book actually and so they like don't have kids they don't have demigod kids and then it's like okay well you want to know what's weird? Her daughters, she has three daughters and two sons. Ares and Festus are her two sons, and they're both major Olympian gods, but none of her three daughters are. It's the misogyny, what can I say? What are they the goddesses of? 
Heb, Enyo, and Ithelia. It doesn't say. Well, right I, here. we don't have to investigate that one. Oh, what are they goddesses of? You yeah. Said? Heb is the goddess of eternal youth and forgiveness. Okay, well, that's a good one. Enyo is the goddess of war, destruction, carnage, and bloodlust. <laughs> Alright, so. Alethea is the goddess of childbirth and midwifery. Okay, that also makes sense. That's good. So, two of three. Two of three is a good batting average <laughs> yeah but neither of them are major gods no yeah that part's not good but also Enya is pretty cool the war one yeah blood carnage all right no they should i feel like, like that should be used more often like that's kind of ooh. put her up against aries yeah. i want to see i want to see him fight goddess, <laughs> god of war and goddess of blood and carnage tell me hit me with it oh my god so another thing that happens in this book in the beginning is that annabeth like talks about how she was born which is like so insane but also i kind of love it but it's also insane and then percy's like i don't know if i like how this sounds he's he's, he's literally like, like turned off by it basically yeah. well that's like what i was about to say is they also have that conversation which is like it's not sexual at all but it like borders on like the topic of sex basically like that's what like percy is like kind of skirting around with his confusion he's like wait so if your mom swore to be a maiden forever but you're here and all of your siblings are here then how does that add up and then annabeth is like oh well you know how like athena was born from uh zeus's head like it's like the same and percy's like how is that fucking the same <laughs> he's like how does that happen <laughs> yeah he's like wait but there's no sex that's what he's like he's that's what he's like okay so is there or is there not sex and how can i ask this without just asking that <laughs> You know what I mean? He's like, how can I figure that out without saying those specific words? <laughs> but I feel like he's also just like, how are you here without your parents of having sex? Exactly. Like, he's, like, baffled. But I also think because of their point in their relationship, like, it's it would be awkward for them to talk about that. And, like, also, well, yeah, it would, book, because Percy's like, like, hey, I'm starting to, like, be attracted to no, you. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, and he's like, wait, but you didn't come from, like, the average way a human is birthed. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, this, like, scene and discussion is kind of, like, perfect, like, for, like, this book, basically. But Annabeth... That's such a... Cr no, I remember rereading that, and I was like, that's such a crazy way to put that in there. I kind like, of... so, like, out of nowhere. It feels... And then you realize maybe why it's there. But, no, like, I didn't realize. I was just like... They should never bizarre. talk about it again. <laughs> like, and they never talk about well, it Well, I kind of like the idea that Annabeth, like, says, where it's, like, they're all, like, brain children. Like, Athena becomes, like, so obsessed with, like, a mortal's, like, genius. That's so crazy. Uh, like, I like that part of it. Like, we, we don't have to get into how accurate we think this but is. But then it's but... also just, like, okay, so what about all of her brain lovers? Like, her lovers that yeah. she only loves via their brain. How do they fall so deeply in love with her? And then it's no, like, that's where I'm what like, what do they think is happening during this period she's impregnated? And where the fuck do you think the baby com comes from if it just comes right out of her brain? <laughs> I don't, that's, that's, these are all questions I don't have any answers to. That's what's so baffling about that scene. But it's really fun. I enjoy it. It doesn't drive yeah, me that crazy. Yeah, I wish they ever went back to it so you can be like, okay, this is I how this makes I think it's sense. just one of those things that has to be life's mysteries. The Aphrodite one, like, we know a little bit about how some goddesses leave their kids. Like, Aphrodite just left Piper, like, on the doorstep, right? Like, being crazy. What was the story behind that? Yeah, but, like, he knew so I think that the idea she was pregnant, somewhere. I think. Yeah. Like, Athena, if it's a brainchild, it's not coming out of her womb. Yeah. So it just literally pops the fuck out of her skull out of nowhere. So it's not like anyone would know that she was pregnant. Well, yeah. But, I mean, I guess they're gods. So also maybe they could, like, skip... Maybe they could, like, shrink the nine months into, like, 
three days or something. And also, maybe she could have just appeared as a pregnant woman. Yeah, like, the gods, like, they have, like, infinite, like, power at their disposal. Like, male gods get to do crazy fucking things in myths, like, turn into animals and then impregnate people. So I think the idea that a goddess could, like, skip her pregnancy and have, like, a full baby anyway is, like, okay. Yeah, but I'm saying, how would they explain that to the mortals? That I don't know. That I couldn't tell you. I could not tell you what lies they would have to create. A lot. <laughs> we should talk about Hephaestus, too, since we're, like, already there. Getting thrown off a fucking cliff. Great. That sucks, man. What a way to begin existence. But also, I'm just surprised that they made a god imperfect. Who, the Greeks? Yeah. Yeah, that because that was always kind of part of the Hephaestus story, was that he was thrown from Mount Olympus. Well, I think, like... But he was thrown from Mount Olympus because he already came, like, deformed, basically. Well, I think it varies. I think it varies from myth to myth. Like, I know what the book says, but I'm I'm sure in some myths he what he became disabled like after he was thrown down the mountain, um, or like any deformities happened because of the fall. And some of them he was like always like that, but like was made worse. But I mean, like people like disabilities and stuff have like always existed, so it kind of makes sense that they would pop up in like myths from here and there. Yeah. Especially if you were, like, disabled in that time period and got, like, really good at a specific skill. People would be like, whoa. Well, what were you wanting to talk about Hephaestus? Just, like, this is his intro. Like, I was talking with you about this earlier, but I hadn't- he's only- well, he's mentioned in, I think, every book. Yeah. He's mentioned in a lot of them, yeah. Because, like, Ares and Aphrodite are also frequently mentioned- but in the series, you meet every single Olympian. Like, you meet the 12 gods plus a handful more. Yeah. And I hadn't totally realized that until I was, like, rereading it this time around. I was like, wait a minute. We're hitting, like, three gods per book. I think the one with the least amount of gods is the second one. And that only has Hermes. Unless I'm forgetting someone. But... It has Ares. It's like a hologram. Yeah. So this is, like, when you meet Hephaestus is in the labyrinth. And I think it's cool that Rick kind of just pulls the connection as in, like, Hephaestus really admired Daedalus. Because that makes sense that he would admire, like, this, like, crazy good inventor. Yeah, because Heroes of Olympus, the gods don't really show up anymore. Like, you do not see Poseidon until the last book. And you don't, like, you hear, like, one thing from him. You don't have a single Percy conversation with Poseidon in that book. Which is, like, crazy considering you got one in, like, almost every book. Yeah. Well, there's a Percy conversation with Poseidon in this book, too, at the end of the book. That's And then there's at least, like, a message from Poseidon. See, monsters. Poseidon and Percy Yeah, the brace yourself message. Yes. I'm sorry. I don't think that fully counts as a conversation. It's more than he ever got in Heroes of Olympus. After talking to his dad, like, at least, like, once or twice a year, he got, like, nothing for, like, an entire year. I guess that's true. At least. It's just crazy. Oh, there was a basketball reference in this book for people who were keeping track of that little experiment of ours. Damn, you should have started off with that. I know, I should have, but um, Daedalus mentions getting good at basketball even though he is like 2,000 years older than the game itself. So, that was the one. I don't think there was any other that I that was in that book. I'm anxious to see if there's one in The Last Olympian. There has to there be. There has to be. With all the fighting, it's probably like, like the Dodgers... Maybe, maybe there will even be like a Knicks reference or something like that because they're in New York. I don't know. I He's don't talking know. about like a stadium. Yeah, yeah, like like Madison uh, Square Garden is like oh, I think they crazy ma- important. I think they mentioned Madison Square Garden like when they're basically giving out the parameters and shit for the battle. Yeah. So I bet we'll get one little basketball reference, but that was this one. I don't really have anything else to say for Hephaestus. Oh, yeah, he shows up. Oh, he's the one who also talks about Rachel. He shows up on Calypso's Island. He shows up on Calypso's Island. That was actually pretty cool of him. I like how he's kind of grumpily written. Like, you can tell that he's, like, not really, like, a people person. 
Yeah, but at the same time, he still cares about people. Yeah. It's cool to meet him knowing who his ki- like, knowing that Charles back and forth of his, is his kid and that Leo later is his kid. And, like, honestly, by the that scene's time, not though, being about really them, only, But by about 11, neither of them are major characters. So he's still no, no. Like, I just mean it's cool to know that, like, because oh. a lot of the other gods that Percy interacts with don't have kids or don't have kids who he knows by name yet. Like, Hermes, he has Luke and the Stoll brothers who get mentioned. So, But he meets Hermes really early on. Ares and Clarice. But then Artemis doesn't have any kids, and Apollo doesn't have any kids well, who... But Percy doesn't know his name in that book. Percy does Like, we don't know Will Solace exists yet. But there's Michael, right. there's Michael Yu. There's Michael Yu, yeah, but I don't think he shows up until... He shows up, actually, in the third book. So, yeah. But my point is, like, I don't feel like Percy meets tons of gods who he knows, like, kids of, almost. Because he doesn't go and meet Athena, like, yeah. until, like, the third book. And, and even Grover then, is a satyr. So. And Grover is a satyr. And he technically does meet Pan, if you can consider him. Yeah. His dad, but he's not technically his dad. He's just, like, the god of him. Yeah. The god he's of, like, the satyr god or something. But, or the god of the wild. But, yeah, I get what you mean. And then there is the Poseidon conversation at the end of this book, too, where he talks about how Percy is his favorite son. I was like, He's like, you're my favorite. I'm like, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, he is. Well, and he also makes this comment that I'm like, this is all going to come full circle in Battle of the Lab, or the Last Olympian. What? The the sea? The the sand dollar? Yes. But I was talking about the sand dollar is very important. That's a very important part of the scene. <laughs> but I was talking about this other part in the scene where Poseidon talks about how demigod children do things in the name of their parents, but it's often more about the kid themselves than, like, the parent. Oh, yeah, because because of the fucking giant that was yeah, in yeah. the labyrinth. And he was Antius. like, this is... Yeah, and he was like, this is all dedicated to my dad, Poseidon, you out there, bro. Like, all for you. All is murder for you. And Poseidon <laughs> was just like, yeah, I don't condone that. He just did that. He's like, I don't claim him. <laughs> He's basically like, you're the best of my sons, and you're my favorite, because you're morally the best. <laughs> I feel like Poseidon's basically like, he's the best version of me. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that's true. Yeah, because Antius, like, he is, like, from Poseidon. Like, they are innately very similar. Yeah. But, like, that conversation is all going to be, like, referenced back to at the end of The Last Olympian, which is really crazy. Like, the last series conversation Percy has with a god, I think, is after the throne room. Is who? Isn't it? He might have another talk with Poseidon, but I feel like isn't his last, like, series talk with Hermes of the gods? Yeah. And that's when they talk about the favorites thing again. So, like, at the end of Battle of the Labyrinth, it's Poseidon and... Like they all Percy, and then it's Poseidon. This Hermes just, at the end of but the last this honestly Olympian. just proves how horrible parents they are because they literally have favorites. Literally, no, like, like <laughs> Annabeth is clearly Athena's favorite. Like, Annabeth's clearly Athena's favorite. Not as clearly, but like. As well, yeah, because we don't know her kid. We don't know the other kids, and we don't really know what Athena's relationship with Annabeth is like that much. But honestly, all. I could tell that Hermes really fucking liked Luke. Yeah, it's so fucking apparent that Hermes loves and Luke. Clarice and and Luke Ares, is like, no! Clarice and Ares, all their relationship is toxic. Like, he is, she is clearly his favorite. He, he, oh, yeah. He clearly claims her. Like, yeah. 
fuck, I had something else that we were going to say while we were getting into that. Oh, yeah, and then, like, Hades is openly like, yeah, I wish you had died and your sister had survived to Nico. <laughs> like, Yeah, bro. But, but by Heroes of Olympus, Hades is like, I fully claim you as my son. You're a badass. <laughs> like, you're a badass. Hey, you're part of the family. <laughs> Welcome He's to literally the family. like, as soon as you die, I got your bedroom set up at home. Oh, my God, that's really funny. <laughs> but, yeah, this series is going to come full circle really quickly, and I'm very excited. While we're just still on, like, demigods in the camp and stuff like that, Chris Rodriguez shows up. Crazy motherfucker. Do we ever find out whose uh, godly parent he is? Is his? Does that happen in Heroes of Olympus? He's Hermes. He's Hermes? Mm -hmm. Okay. Because in this dub for the, dub for the big H cabin. But in this book, it's mentioned that he was, like, he was a kid from Hermes' cabin but I feel like they, it's not clear whether he was undetermined or just, like, actually Hermes' kid. But. Let me look it up. Yeah, you can look it up now. Another little demigod shout-out we get in this book is that Harriet Tubman is the daughter of Hermes in yeah. Rick Rayord and Canon, which is Yeah, fun. he's Hermes. And the Underground Railroad is, like, connected to the labyrinth, which is also kind of fun. He's crazy. Chris. Ah, yeah. I love the Chris stuff Clarice? in this book. <laughs> yeah, like, I really... I like that stuff in this book, honestly. Like, you really get... I think Clarice in this book does become more three-dimensional than in yeah, the others. Yeah, she finally has a heart. Like, you see that there is stuff that she, like, cares about, that she, like, has, like, emotions. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it is touching, too, when Mr. D, like, cures Chris of, like, the Labyrinth Madness, too. Yeah. Like, that's, like, a dub. Because Percy's literally like, why'd you do that? Yeah. He's like, I didn't know you had it in you. <laughs> He's like, so wait, you, you actually, like, showed up? today to like work and, to, like, and then he's like i didn't feel like letting another person die today so yeah damn dionysus like he's not in this book at all until like the last like couple of chapters no but when he comes in this book he comes in with a bang he comes in with a fucking bang dude is wearing all black suit with a velvet dr- violet dress shirt and a purple <laughs> a purple tie like curly hair comb. he literally showed up like, like he was ready to go to a funeral honestly. he did he showed up like he was gonna go to funeral, but he showed maybe up the courtroom, but he showed but he up. showed this is not your average mr d no but he showed up he did it's not like it's not like hermes showed up when luke died okay it's, come on now come it's, on. it's not like zeus showed up when he turned thalia into a tree it's true he was fucked up he was fucked up about that Hermes was fucked up too. You're not ready to have that conversation. Come on. <laughs> no, I mean I no Hermes was fucked up, but I mean Dionysus was like he showed out because he, showed he was up fucked up and he showed out. Like it, it does make me curious as to what his relationship with his kids was like. I was always that, like, curious about that. And you never brutal. got it. You never quite got it. And like that, I'm kind of sad about because I wish we at least got to hear like one dialogue between. To see, like, did he have favorites to them? But honestly, I think he probably treated them about the same I think way. he probably loved the two kids the same, the twins. Yeah. Um, my question is just how much did he love them in general? <laughs> yeah. Because, like, his whole, like, attitude of camp director, like, does he, like, maintain that with I the think kids? That that, I think he maintains that I think a little bit as well. That's what I was wondering. But that's the stuff I But I still know. think he loves them more than the other camp. Oh, that's true. Like... I bet he does play favorites and that he's like I don't kids, know if like, he would have shown don't... up if Percy died. Okay. No, exactly. He's like these kids like will not go on quests. Like I'm sure he like has like these rules for them when it comes to like activities and shit like that or or like I'm sure I there's mean, yeah, nepotism bullshit where if they don't want to do something he But like, him steps literally in. going up to Percy and being like, Hey, don't let my don't let my other son die. Like, bro, he cares about them. He just can't quite 
But he he shows up and he shows out. When one of them dies. Dies. Yes. Yeah. But he does. He does. We just don't know that and much you about have the relationship. To, you have to believe that there was a lot of dialogue with him being at camp all those years. He was there. He was the only demigod father. And they were father. 17. He was the only demigod like father figure that, you know, was actually a father figure was in someone's like life. there. Yeah. yeah. For better. For better and probably for worse in some ways. Um. <laughs> yeah, they, they probably grew up hating him, but for other reasons. For other reasons, not because he wasn't there. Again, like, they were 17, like, and if they came to camp when they were 12, which might have been younger, might have been older, like, they had probably, like, five I mean, years I would assume them. that like, they'd probably been there as as early as they could. Yeah. Ever since he was camp director. I well, mean, I don't see any reason why he'd be like, don't come. Probably because he's just like, I don't want to be responsible for these kids right now. So hold on to them a little while longer. That <laughs> I, I do think is in character. I imagine them going when they're like eight or nine. I feel like he likes them, but he doesn't like love like raising little children. So he wants the he like was he like, wants them to he was, like, come oh, ready. Yeah, that he wants them to like come like not needing him to like teach them how to do basic like get so ready. So I'm for thinking nines. I'm thinking more like eleven. No, because <laughs> nine. This. Caster dies in this book, and this is how we treat him. <laughs> this is what we're Bro. debating. Is how bad he his would dad be named Caster, though. What's the Caster and Pollux? Thing? Pollux, yeah, those would be drunkard names. Drunkard names, like yeah, you have a lot of children of Bacchus, though. In oh really? SPQR, yeah, let me Camp see. Jupiter. I think that adds up. I think that adds up, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting, though. Like, is it? Do they make a comment about there being a lot of kids of Bacchus, or there's just like multiple ones that show up? Honestly, there might only be one that shows up. But he's pretty major. He's ma- who is he? He's the fifth. I've kind of become obsessed with fifth- Dionysus. Dionysus is cool as fuck. He's like in my top three gods, like no question. And yeah. he's not three. Honestly, Percy likes him. He just won't admit it to himself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's the fifth cohort's centurion. Oh uh, yeah, I liked the centurion. He's the one that has the idea of. Like he's like obsessed with the Kool Aids. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Oh my god, that dude was crazy. <laughs> what a fun spin on the. How do we have a god whose whole godly personality is that he gets drunk, have kids with that personality trait without it being alcohol? But they bad. still fucking get drunk. They basically get sugar highs. Yeah. But like drunk type sugar highs. We need a child of Dionysus who's a dealer. Bro, I would look. He'd be a child of Dionysus. <laughs> I was think. I was like maybe, maybe. But also. Poseidon, but also I want to marry Percy, so we can't be related. Oh my god, what if you and Percy had, like, a star-crossed, like, lovers, like, Romeo and Juliet thing because, like, Dionysus, like, hate because of camp? Like, you were also, like, a camper there, and you were Dionysus's daughter. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you know what like, I mean? <laughs> and, like, you were, what like... what about Annabeth? No. In this universe, Annabeth doesn't exist, and, like, it's, like, a rewrite where Annabeth isn't, like, the girl in the trio, like, you're the girl in the trio. That would be insane. Imagine I wrote a fanfic about that. Yeah, it's like people a would hate me. They would hate me. They'd be like, "Don't ever fucking do a self insert again." And that's <laughs> way better than you ever could be. Oh my god, these imagined haters are tough. That's how I would hate. I'll be like Annabeth forever. I don't care about Chase and Jackson strangers. goes better than Madden and Jackson. Honestly, that's pretty good though. Chase and Jackson still goes better. Jackson Chase, Chase Jackson. They could like work his first and last names. So there's another big god moment in this, which is the death of Pan. That scene, oof. That scene hits. Yeah. That scene definitely hit you more than it hit me. 
Um, no, I think wow. that scene is really fucking important, but you've been talking about it, like, forever. I know. You were like, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited to get there and to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, I did it. not remember most of that at I all. I just feel like it's, it's this kind of out-of-character serious moment for this series. Not even in that, like... Like, there are serious moments in this series, like, that we've talked about, like, Percy and Poseidon, like, Percy and Hermes. Like, there's a few other scenes that are, like, really quite sobering where Percy deals with, like, reality. But in this one, it's, like, it's bigger than that because it's the voice of the author speaking directly to the reader in addition to the character speaking to other characters. Like, I think Rick Riordan is so aware as he's writing that that he wants to impart that message onto the reader. And it's a direct call to action on the reader. But I just can't believe I didn't pick up on that at all the first time. But, like, there's not a similar call to action in any of the other books, even the fifth book, because what Percy asks the gods to do, like, can't really be replicated by you or I. But the whole, like, message, like, the imploring to, like do something about like the last of the wilds is like something that theoretically in the way that people talk about it everyone i mean i'm sure that this has gotten more people in the global warming yeah the global warming as we've talked about is like a very serious theme in the series which happened 15 years ago which is getting like more and more concerning for me because when i grew i grew up while these books were being released where like people were so like people this is the thing my entire life people have been aware of global warming but my entire life no one has been doing anything about it even as it gets more and more serious and like i think what's interesting is the rachel elizabeth dare connection here where you find out that her father is like one of the reasons that the world is like being destroyed and it's so interesting because it's like and her conversation with pan yeah and her conversation with pan about it where he's like look like that's not on you it's like sad because i part of the scenes like whole like call to action is like rooted in this like myth frankly about climate change which is that like if everyone was just better about their carbon footprint it would go away but in reality it is the people like rachel's father who are responsible for the vast majority of like what's going on basically like for the crisis like it's it men in suits have been directing this crisis for like decades like and so that's what's almost like a little frustrating to like read about it now but it's also like when you're a kid what else are you gonna do (laughs) but i mean it really wasn't like it's not her fault it's definitely not her fault i just mean that the call to action is like it's nice to read and it is like moving but it's also like it feels almost hollow to me a little bit as an adult because it's like okay well what if everyone recycled because of this book like it would be better kind of but it wouldn't fix anything but anything just a pessimist i think yeah i think anything helps it's true like it is good that like more and more people are like galvanized against climate change i just wish we had like actual real like effective plans for it and not just platitudes that would be nice (laughs) that would be desirable that would be that would be a good step in the right direction but the scene is like it is a beautiful scene i do love that grover really comes into his own in this book he reaches like a certain point of maturity i mean yeah he's mature enough to the point where he's like i'm gonna leave you guys because i need to find him yeah and like and he would have been such a scaredy cat in the other mm -hmm. books he'd been like i'm staying with you forever and like he basically starts to preach like pan's message like when he gets like back to and like share with the other which is almost like biblical yeah it is he's kind of like almost like a jesus or he's almost like a moses figure he's like spoken to and then he becomes like a prophet for like his people like to spread on the message 
and at the end like he is like very like serious it's like kind of startling but i also love it i love grover he gets a girlfriend in this book too which is fun it's funny that like we never learned to my knowledge anything about it it's just like it's just he has one percy shows up to camp and grover has a girlfriend and even percy (laughs) even percy just like well it is what it is he's got a girlfriend yeah i'd be like bitch why didn't you tell me i know percy like doesn't like ask any questions he's not like why yeah why didn't you tell me like none of that yeah it's pretty crazy it's also too another thing of like the kids are getting like more and more serious and mature in this book and like their relationships too are like starting to evolve like i don't think it's a coincidence grover gets a girlfriend in the book where like persebeth like really start to like come together as a potential like duo like romantic relationship yeah and they're like grover needs his own person yeah I think, like, but Grover... Also, ha- Percy and Grover are always... The- they're always day ones. No well, I think... I think Grover text. having a girlfriend is basically, like, a signal of, like, this is the point of their lives where they're at, basically. And also, Grover's not just gonna keep being, like, a friend of, like, the group. Like, that won't be his only relationship, is, like, the group, basically. No, yeah. And if you really want to go back, I guess technically Grover was friends with Annabeth before even Percy. It's true. He's known Annabeth, like, for a really long time. So him and Percy are friends. And, like, they were good friends while they were friends at school. But I'm sure Grover has, like, a lot of, like, complicated, like, family feelings about, like, Annabeth. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're still, like... I'm sure he still considers Percy more of his best friend, though. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we don't really know that much about We don't know that Annabeth much about his relationship, relationship with Grover, which but, is But, like, sad. Percy has the empathy link with Grover. Which and is that really big. And Grover, volumes. yeah, Grover chose to give him the empathy link. And that was only after the, just the first book. Yeah. So I think, really, he went to camp and him and Annabeth felt kind of out of touch because he felt so bad about everything that yeah. happened with Zalia. And Grover was, like, older than her, too, by, like, a significant amount. Yeah, Grover's I mean, older than all of them. Grover's twice their age. He, he was, like, 28 in the last book or something. <laughs> That's so crazy of him. <laughs> but, yeah, he looks their age. It's true. Like, like maturity-wise, he is their age. Yeah, it doesn't totally... It's very strange. <laughs> Imagine if he became, like, a thing with one of the campers, bro. No. I don't... I think confusing. he could have gotten away with it, but we'd grow up and be like, what the fuck? We would be like... <laughs> and there are other Rick relationships that are like that too so i feel like we really dodged a bullet with that one what other ones <laughs> well you know like the frank and hazel that's age not gap that is bad weird. it's two and a half years i would the think fact that makes... hazel is 13 is what makes it weird and then there's walt nubis and sadie which is its own bag of worms sadie's like 12 or 13 that's weird as fuck to me that's literally one of the ever since i found 12. out about that that's one of the reasons i haven't read the book. that's well and that's why i'm like frank and hazel are weird because this is written by the same like weird energy i don't understand like they're related also he merges with anubis and then that's like how that love triangle is solved (laughs) imagine solving a love triangle by being like we'll just put them into one body yeah it's absurd do they switch between like i don't i can't entirely remember honestly but it's absurd but like rick has these kind of like bizarre age differences sometimes Uh, we can talk about dedalius and quintus yeah, that one is, like, I liked Adelius in this book, like, all right, but that one was one of the weaker parts of it for me, honestly. Really? Yeah. Or Daedalus. Yeah, like, I like the Daedalus stuff, like, a little bit. Like, I like that they get to meet him, and the Quintus stuff is, like, kind of cool, but I don't know. I guess he just, like, wasn't that cool to me. Quintus was just, like, a very minor character once you truly got to the end of the story. Yeah, well, and I feel like Quintus, like, his whole character was that he was, like, mysterious. So there wasn't really, like, a twist. Like, you knew that there was always going to be something on with him. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
I just think that Daedalus, like, giving himself up to let the labyrinth collapse was really cool. That shit is cool, like... But then he basically retcons the entire thing when he brings the fucking labyrinth back. Yeah. Well, another thing that's weird for me about Daedalus is that it's, like, they leave the laboratory thing that he's at, and... Somehow he ends up alive. Somehow he ends up alive. (laughs) You know? And it's, like, there's, like, Greek fire in the lab, and everyone's, like, fleeing and shit like that. And they're like, oh my god, like, he's gonna be destroyed. And then he just, but like, he's shows not, up. But he's an autom- automaton, though. I know, like, it's still So I still feel like weird. that gives him a little bit of, like, leeway. Like, he's made of metal. Like, <laughs> like, Greek fire might not hurt him. Yeah, it's just one of, I think Rick sometimes has these, like, he does pull, like, I feel like days and machinas sometimes, where he's like, alright, I've written everyone into a corner in time for someone to come back and save them. Yeah. And that was one of these, I think. And most of the time, I don't really care that much. But this time, I was a little bit. Do you think like, that's what happens with Tyson? In what? In Sea Monsters, when he like is presumed dead, and then he ends up coming back. Tyson, I feel like the fact like, I don't think it's quite the same because it, he's like a cyclops, like we and he's a son of Poseidon. So like, there's enough there to imply that he like could have survived. Oh yeah, because actually they don't even know he can breathe underwater yet. I don't. Yeah, think. like they don't know these certain powers about him, but it makes sense that he survives because he's like. A monster who forges stuff underwater. So, what do you think is another one of those examples? Well, they're mostly, they're not usually, like... That big? Big ones. Like, they usually just happen in, like, fight scenes, I think. Yeah. And it usually makes sense. Like, it usually makes sense for the character to be there or to intervene in that way or whatever. But it's, like, like, oh my god, this happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. But you don't have much to say about that overall? Or his plot line with Icarus, or I mean, nephew. It's interesting that, like, Rick pulled in more stories about Daedalus, like, that were more than just the Icarus story. Like, that part of it's pretty cool. But did that but actually happen in Greek mythology, though? I don't know. I think I f- the shell story with the ant, I think, is in Greek mythology, but I don't know. What? Shell and ant? Yeah, the guy who, like, he solves the riddle by having an ant thread the shell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that, that was pretty fucking cool. That was And then how the labyrinth was, like, in their castle. Yeah. Well, I guess what I'll say is I feel like the Daedalus stuff almost takes up too much space for how much we get back from it. Like, I think- That's true. I think there's too many dreams with him. We get a lot of Daedalus information, and then he just ends up dying, and that's kind of it. The only thing we left- have left from him is, like, his laptop. If you- I know, like, if you compare- Which you end up fucking losing. How many Daedalus scenes were dreams versus how many scenes we got of Quintus slash Daedalus in person, it would probably be, like, 60 to 40. Like, and that's being generous. Like, it might be more, like, 70 to 30. I would think 70 to 30. And it's like, but you got Mrs. O'Leary out of it, and I fucking love Mrs. O'Leary. No, that's true. Like, this is the Mrs. O'Leary setup, which is like really fun, and she plays like a nice role in the Last Olympian. And but she's just a good fucking pet, bro. Yeah, she's a real one. And her it's, and Blackjack, Percy's got this elite ensemble. Blackjack shows up in this book too, in yeah. the end, which is cool. Oh, we should also talk about Rachel. I forgot to put her on the list, but Rachel plays a really significant part in this book. I guess Ariadne knockoff ass. I kind of like the. I really actually like the reveal. This is one of the things I had forgotten was the reveal that Percy needed, like, a mortal to see through the maze. Yeah, I kind of forgot that, too, actually. I didn't even, like, I didn't remember it at all. Like, when Hephaestus was, like, explaining it to Percy, and Percy was like, and then I realized. I was like, wait a minute, what? No, I didn't realize that. <laughs> I was like, you realized what is that? I was like, explain this to me real slow. <laughs> no, I, I didn't remember that either. 
That's why when Hera was like, you already know what you need to do to get through the labyrinth. First he was like, I, I don't fucking know. I was like, I don't fucking know either. So we're just going to be lost as we go through this, bro. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I was like, if he knows, I should know. Because on top of me knowing everything he knows, I also know everything the, the wiki knows. And I still don't know. <laughs> but Rachel is nice in this book. I like her and Annabeth's kind of like bickering. And fucking then they... That jealous energy... And then they have, like, a... They actually get along for, like, a couple instances in the book, which is, like, nice, too. I mean, yeah, after Annabeth and, and Percy get together, her and Rachel are just, like, friends. Like, they're arguably closer than Rachel and Percy are. Yeah. So, it's just... It's really just... I mean, it does rub me the wrong way in some ways, because, like, why do the women never get along? I mean, I get it, but I get why they don't get along. Like, I do, too. It's Annabeth, to begin with. So? Um. <laughs> she's just protecting what's hers. And it's that mindset as well. What? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, it's in character for, I think, the characters to bicker the way they do. I think Annabeth is especially picking fights. Why are you saying that? Because she purposely says stuff to piss Rachel off. Yeah, but... She's, like, picking a fight. Like, yeah, but you, that. but you're basically saying, like, this is an Annabeth character trait. What makes you say that? Because she does that with Percy, too. Not as much, then. Not as obviously. How Annabeth acts towards Rachel is intensified for, like, obvious reasons, but a lot of the underlying, like, traits, like, are still, like, Annabeth traits that you see in The Lightning Thief when she is first meeting Percy. Bro, I'm getting so wrapped up in this fanfic, I'm kind of forgetting. Oh my god. I'm kidding. I still love my lives, both of them. Love of my loves of my life. I'm too high for this, bro. (laughs) You're still stoned? That explains it. <laughs> what? But it's um, rubbing off fast, though. Honestly, yeah. you're not stoned. No, not anymore. Anyway, so my point is that like it makes sense that they would fight just based off their um, personalities, and then they also are both jealous of like the same like person, basically. Who wouldn't be? So it definitely makes sense that they fight. <laughs> Although I get like it, it, it can be tiring to be like, oh my god, why do they? Have, why do the girls have to fight all the time? <laughs> But I also think Rick ha- Rick kind of gets, like, a out in this book on that. Because he had Thalia and Zoe fighting, like, all the time in Titan's Curse for, like, another, like, good reason, honestly. Yeah. Like, I feel like the girls aren't... This is the thing. In Harry Potter, when the girls fight, which we don't actually ever see basically on screen, but is, like, talked about, like, it's always described as being, like, petty, like, petulant stuff. But, like, when the girls fight in Percy Jackson, like, it makes sense with, like, their, like backstories and the issues that they have like as characters you know what i mean yeah i guess yeah you guess next topic bro all right well janice actually shows up in this janice is annoying as fuck what was annabelle was so is the choice her prophecy was like janice was like yeah you're gonna i'm gonna make you choose again later but then she didn't even end up being the fucking person of the prophecy and daedalus never had to choose anything from janice okay that's what i was wondering does annabeth make like a big choice in the last olympian then maybe is that is it a last olympian setup maybe i think that might be what it is but but not that i remember but it freaks her out as part of battle of the labyrinth because i noticed that too i was like this guy does not show up again like no choice is actually made like he's mentioned a lot more after that yeah and like i get that some of it's probably just like the minor gods are harassing demigods like part of the luke chronos minor gods team up so maybe that's like plays some part of it but uh so basically yeah later she tells percy that the decision he made her choose between had to do with whether or not to trust luke oh 
Oh, at the end? Like, on, on the, at the throne room in Last Olympian? Or just in general? No, this is in Battle of the Labyrinth. To trust Luke in Battle of the Labyrinth? She's not really given that choice in Battle of the Labyrinth. I think that she was telling him this in Battle of the Labyrinth, but it might refer to the choice that we're going to find out about in Last Olympian. Oh, okay, okay. That makes sense. Well, that's interesting, too, because their relationship does... Ooh, that so is crazy, It's like an actually. off-screen thing that, might, that probably happens. I'm not sure if he intended for it to be that, but I'm pretty sure that is how it ended up being. Damn, that's crazy. Like, her choice happened without Percy there. Well, like, Annabeth really does... She hits almost a breaking point with the Luke question in this book. Like, because basically, at the end of this book, she finally sees that Luke has, like, fully given himself over to Kronos. It's, like, a complete, But like, also, betrayal. Luke shows a little bit more of empathy towards her in this book than he, sh- than he showed in Titan's Curse. It's true. He's before like, he no, goes don't under, let her die. Yeah, before he um, is, like, taken over by Kronos. I think, like, part of the way I think about it is that he goes through the River Styx screen in between and Titan's he, Curse, and she Battle is of the his Labyrinth. Last... And we know that she is, like, his connection, like. To that's crazy i kind of forgot about that she was his connection too yeah that's I'm, gotta that's gotta make I'm Percy feel sure. some type of way and like i wonder um, if percy knows that or how did we know that i'm pretty sure luke mentions it i could be wrong because what gets through to him at the end of the day is her and is like the family the appeal to family so it could be annabeth it could be annabeth and thalia i'm not entirely sure if it's ever explicitly said but like i think he's just so aware of that in the books going forward and aware that like maybe like one of the few relationships he actively mourns is his relationship with annabeth i gotta do a little digging because his relationship with annabeth is something that he actively is like destroying and i think he's aware of that and it's not a clean break in the way that the relationship with thalia ends up being like they're luke and annabeth are both invested in the idea that they can change the other person when Luke had descended into the River Styx, he would have had to focus on something important that would hold him to his mortal life. I had seen Annabeth, and I had a feeling he had to. Yeah, that's what I thought. Oh, he had pictured that scene Hestia showed me of himself in the good old days with Thalia and Annabeth when they promised, or when he promised that they would be family. Mm-hmm. Hurting Annabeth in battle shocked him uh, into remembering that promise. It had allowed his mortal conscience to take over again his weak spot his achilles heel had saved us all so really that's what i thought fuck we're getting into last olympian now but yes so but even that it's not necessarily a romantic way no i don't think it is definitely not like and the but fact then that the way that he asked if she loved him was yeah a little bit romantic maybe i'll think differently when i read it like but i don't yeah because, like, Percy never, like, actively thinks about, like, when he ponders Luke's relationship with Annabeth, he never explicitly is, like, she's he never in love thinks... with him. But it's no. also, like, he doesn't explicitly talk about that No, but part. I think that the way that Percy thinks about it, it's, like, she has this, like, crush on him. Yeah. But he doesn't necessarily reciprocate those feelings, but he does have, like, a soft spot for her. Yeah. Which is basically what's true. Like. Yeah. At least that's how it's, like, put forward in in the first couple the first couple books and like again like it's always shown that luke has a soft spot for annabeth but it's always connected to like thalia, thalia and like just their childhood but then in titan's curse 
he it seemed like he didn't have a, th- a soft spot for Thalia like that. Well, that's what I was thinking, like, or talking about. I think part of it is Thalia was a tree, so he doesn't have, <laughs> <laughs> like, we can't, there's no avoiding it. So, like, he, while at camp, probably continued to have, like, a sort of brotherly relationship with Annabeth for, like, another seven, or another um, five years. Yeah. Versus Thalia was dead, so the whole time all he could do was mourn her. Like, he couldn't maintain that relationship. And then, but you would think that the sort of romantic ideology like, would be him and Thalia. Yeah. No, like, I think that, like... I think it would have been had she stayed alive. I think that, yeah, like, if Thalia survives, like, Luke and Thalia being, like, a couple is, like, a no-brainer, almost. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, like, if Luke and Thalia survive, Thalia becomes the prophecy kid, and, like she and Luke are, like, a couple. The Annabeth and Percy. They're the Annabeth and Percy of that But series. it's also, like, do they go dark still? You know what I they mean? They fucking go they dark go, all the they way! They go dark! They go dark! <laughs> that would be so fun. I kind of want that, like, alternate series, just because I think it's such an entertaining idea. Where would Percy and Annabeth be? Dead. Oh, well, no, I don't you, think they'd be I dead. think, I think they would be the protagonists of that series as well, but they'd just be the very, very minor. No, I think it would be fun if, like, Percy and Annabeth had sort of, like, Nico roles almost. Not both of them, but like Percy was brought in kind of in a Nico way, and then Annabeth is like. They're Grover? They're Grover kind of almost? I don't but know, but you know what still. I mean? Like, we'll find. They'll, it's more like Percy and Annabeth are like the Nico and Thalia in terms of like they were important, yeah. but they were kind of like given like specific like Thalia supporting roles. The, yeah. And then Thalia and Luke become the Annabeth and Percy. Yeah. So then who would be the Luke of this series? Ooh, that would be fascinating. Well, because Luke still goes dark. Thalia still goes... Like, this is a version where they go dark. So their Luke has to be, like, someone in the, in the light. Honestly, Annabeth is maybe the Luke. Because Annabeth has to be the, the person who's their connection to camp who's, like, trying yeah, to Yeah, so back. then Percy couldn't be the Nico. No, Percy can still be the Nico. No, because Percy has to be with Annabeth. No, but it, they can be a sort of thing where he's, like, in and out, but they end up together. How would they? So, are you saying Thalia and Luke would still be defeated? In I don't. Alternate? I don't actually entirely know how this ends. <laughs> Someone else write this for me. I would love to read it. Five books. This series. is a really fucking cool idea. It's a cool idea. I don't know how it would end or what everything would look like, but maybe this could be the book that you write. But you write no. like your original characters in the roles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something to think about. No, but it would have to be these characters, and in, in order for us to truly be able to envision all the way. But I don't want to. I don't want to rewrite characters that have already been written. Fair enough. Fair enough. But other big Luke moves in this book. Well, just while we're at it. He gets the minor gods to start joining Kronos, slash, yeah. I guess Kronos probably is doing some of that. Also, a lot of demigods are joining Luke still. He makes some of them fight to the death, which is pretty cool. Pretty, pretty fucked cool. up. Pretty <laughs> fucked up. It's he like a little even... Hunger Games moment <laughs> in the middle. <laughs> it is. And, like, he already had the string at that point, so it's like... <laughs> yeah, he literally was just, just trying just to gloating. get out. Like, he was just trying to get out of the maze. He's, He's like, like, sorry, bro, I gotta go through this area, so... He was like, some of you may die. It's gotta happen. Basically, this book is just, like, Kronos' army is growing stronger and, like, even gods are in. Which is, like, again, something Percy is gonna take and, like, make that part of the gift in The Last Olympian. Yeah. Even though the minor gods didn't deserve it, they were being jackasses this entire (laughs) series. If I will say, though, there is, like, a frustrating... So, Luke's arc in this book is basically, like, he's powerful, he's in the maze, he wants to destroy things, he has the string, and... He's, like, really scared about something happening. He's, like, really nervous about it. And then 
he's Kronos. He's given his body over to the Titan Lord. And something that like is kind of sad reading this for me is that you can tell from the beginning that Luke has this like fear and it, he has like personal beef and issues with Kronos's like plan. And we kind of know that that's starting in Titan's curse. Like yeah, he doesn't do. want plan B. And it kind of makes me wish that Rick Riordan had just made Luke a more active character. Like, you know how Kylo kills Snoke in The Last Jedi? Like, I almost wish Have we'd... Luke kill Kronos or something? Yeah, like, maybe not to that degree. The whole series is that Kronos is the bad guy, you know? So, I get it, having him around for the end. But I just wish Luke was more active in his, like, life, you know? Like, he just feels like a lackey in this book. He doesn't yeah. feel like he's making active, like, chess moves to, like, try to thwart, no, at this like, point, what's he going is clearly on. He's just, just a means up. to an end. He is... Cl- it, plan, plan B is fully yeah. in effect. He's, like... He, he's literally thinking, I'm a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Which is, I think, why... In this book, isn't it, like, stated, like, he's like, oh, I want to talk to Annabeth? Yeah. I think it is. Like, yeah, he wants to talk to her. Yeah. I think that sets up what happens in The Last Olympian really well for him. And also her having to choose something for Luke. Yeah. But, Janice, it, yeah. but it's also just like how much more interesting would it have been if we got to see Luke actually act on these frustrations and emotions and then maybe Kronos like beats his ass and is like no like we're still doing this he's thing. like let me put you in your place real yeah. quick maybe Luke doesn't win but like it makes the fifth book like more interesting a little bit or it makes this book more interesting and then basically, the fifth book you can still pull like the same like god tier ending what's been going around tumblr recently is like basically it's a whole um epiphany we've already come to about how the series isn't really about percy mm-hmm. <laughs> really it's about luke uh, and thalia and annabeth which is just like a, a mind fucker it really is but at the same time the percy's like Percy still is the main character. Like, Percy's the main character. It's still about Percy. It's still about Percy. And, like, but Percy's... But it's just none of this would have happened without Yeah. Luke. That's what it is. Like, the story is Percy's, but the story starts with Luke, basically, if that makes yes. sense. Like, Percy becomes the main character, but he wasn't the original But character. he is not who sets everything in motion. Yes. And also people being like, well, really, Percy wasn't the hero. Luke was the hero. Like, no, Percy was the hero. Luke was just also the hero. Yeah. But Luke was also, like, he also did more evil than good if you're really going <laughs> to get into it, but I guess. <laughs> it is true, like. Because, like, I get both arguments, but Percy is still the hero. Percy is the hero. Percy's Percy! He's the first person point of view of this series. Like, you read the series through his voice. It's about his trials and tribulations and his, like, romantic, like, issues and his issues with his parents. Percy is the love of my life. He has to be the hero. Yeah. But Luke, like, does play, like, a really surprising role in The Last Olympian. Because what's really interesting, having read the four and getting ready to go in The Last Olympian about, like, the Luke stuff, is that you get a little bit of depth from Luke in the first book when he, like, is like, this is why I'm doing this. Like, I think we need to, like, start over. But in the second, third, and fourth books, there is really no nuance to Luke. Like, he's just a lackey who does what Kronos needs him to do and struggles and fails most of the time and, like, is scared. I mean, he succeeded in the labyrinth. But, like, he did get uh, thwarted by Percy and Rachel during the coffin thing. Like, he didn't win. Like, they wanted to take out Camp Half-Blood, but they only got to invade a little bit. Yeah. And honestly, if he had just known he really only needed a mortal, he would have invaded a lot sooner. <laughs> but Luke refused to believe him, which is funny. That's an L, my dude. But Wait, who told Luke? Daedalus. Oh, yeah, and that's crazy. And Luke was like, I don't believe you. 
Yes. I'm like, come on, man. It's worth a shot. Which is crazy because guess who's they have parent so can see through the mist and is a mortal woman? Percy? Luke Castellan. Oh. Yeah. Like, bro. But also, just thinking about, like, how they had all those hired, like, mortals helping them. I know. Not one of those bitches can see through the mist. Yeah. Not one. I understand it's probably something that's hard to find when you're looking just casually to hire someone. But plan ahead. Well, I mean, I don't know if his mom could necessarily see, see through the mist that well at that point in time. She couldn't oh, really no. see anything clearly at that point. No, but no. She's definitely, she can't do it by the time Luke is, like. He could have, like, kidnapped sure. Sally Jackson. <laughs> but my point is not that he could have, like, gone and retrieved her, but just that, like, Luke should know that mortals seeing through the mist is, like. But also the fact that there's mist crazy. in the labyrinth. Yeah. Or, like, well, what's cool about the labyrinth almost is that you see mist almost in its reverse like usually it just affects mortals but in this way you're kind of seeing it only affect demigods yeah calypso we could talk about calypso a bit. calypso bro that little bitch you do not like any of the other girl love interests no in the thing is i books. love them all when they aren't being psychotic calypso, calypso is, is a normal little no Calyp- yeah but then you find out she like cursed annabeth yeah well that part's crazy but she was normal in this book I didn't have a problem with... I mean, I did have a problem with Percy being like, she she will always be my greatest what if... That part I did go like, come on, bro. Come on. <laughs> like, for what? Why? You know you're in love with Annabeth. Like, why are you saying this shit? And also, just like, why would Rick even put it in there? That part was kind of baffling to me. I was like, bro, you're not getting married tomorrow. Like, I guess part of it's like his whole idea of like, what if I was never the prophecy kid? I think it's less like, her, like she is in his greatest what if, but just like, what if I never had to worry about any of this? Yeah. But I think that him being but like, she, she But is... she comes out first and foremost in that yeah. line, yeah. Yeah, no, that pisses me off a lot, but I love his entrance into camp. That shit's cool. That shit's really cool. Also, like, I'm pretty sure there's, like, a little Hermes moment in that <laughs> on the island, too. Because... There is. Calypso's, like, Hermes visits me. And, like, in the beginning, like, Percy sees Calypso talking to, like, a man on the beach at some point. Who I think might be Hermes. And it's never stated who it is, but all the no. servants are invisible. And Hephaestus shows up later. Yeah. So, shout out. <laughs> I don't know I what the it, fuck Hermes does. It might have but... been, like... Percy might have even said, like, it looked like she was talking to a runner on the beach or something, yeah. like, that would have basically alluded he's to a runner, it being He's a track star. He's a But, yeah, I would, I had always thought that was Hermes as well. Yeah. Little subtle moment there for the guy. I love how Percy takes the moon lace and plants it back in New York. That's cool. Like, and I do like how Calypso's, like, plant a garden in Manhattan for me, how that connects back to, like, the pan stuff. Yeah. Like, that's cool. But all, all of this just makes me so much more angry when Rick sort of retcons a lot of Percy's personal loyalty out of Heroes of Olympus. Because you can, he is loyal to everyone. Like, he doesn't even have to know them for, like, two minutes to be loyal to them. Yeah. Like, him going out of his way to do all this shit for Calypso. And then, like, retconning that by the whole Kaleo plot story, like, subplot. It's just like, okay, so then Leo tops all the shit that Percy did. Already going out of his way. <laughs> no, the Calypso Island stuff retcon is, like frustrating like i don't like that understand on labyrinth like find new material <laughs> generate some new ideas like i understand we all fucking loved these but let him go move on imagine move he brought on. back zoe that one i could respect yeah give if me he, more like, zoe her down from the stars or some shit that would be cool not even i mean like that would be f- cool as fuck but even if he just like 
had backstories that somehow connected someone to Zoe. Oh, yeah. Like, a character that came and was like, oh, I know her. And then, like, throughout the story, they have, like, flashbacks with her. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. That would be very cool. Because Rick does utilize flashbacks really frequently. He does. Like, one thing in my conversation with Gray that really made me laugh talking about these books was, Gray was like, these people have dreams too damn often. He was like, there's a dream every other page. There are a lot of fucking dreams. And he was like, and here's of Olympus characters will literally get knocked out in the middle of battles. And have a dream. dream. Yeah. Yeah. Jason literally has a dream as he's falling from the sky. And like, that's a part of my issue with Battle of the Labyrinth is I don't feel like the dreams were always well utilized. There were too many of them because that was how we got all the Daedalus flashbacks. But you also have to keep in mind there were only like four or five Daedalus flashbacks. It was too many. And on it's top of like that- It's not like he was having a dream every, ch- every chapter. No, but on top of that, there were also Nico dreams, some of which were okay. Or like Iris messages, so, most of which were fine. But like the combination of them all was just too much. Too much, man. There were Nico dreams, yeah. Too many dreams. Um, you have to remember that Artemis kind of appears in this book a little bit. When? She doesn't physically appear, but um, when he is at Gurion's ranch. Hera did that, though. What? That, that, was that shit's a mindfuck. No, Hera does it. Percy prays to Artemis and Apollo and then gives them an offering, but Hera, at the end, when she's talking about all the ways that she helped them, she was the one who guided the arrow. Isn't that shit crazy? It should have been Artemis! I know, but the fact that it's Hera is like... Such and Percy's like, like so twist. praying to the gods really doesn't do shit. <laughs> He's like, wow, I wasted that meat on the wrong people. No way that was fucking Hera. Show me the proof. Bro, it's here. We were just at this chapter. I was at your side when you faced Garyon. I let your arrow fly straight. I sent you to Calypso's island. Ah, he I opened her. the way to the Titan's he, mountain. She literally outed Annabeth. I sent you to Calypso's <laughs> island. That's how she knows. Oh my god, so An- that's the last conversation they have, I think. Yeah, before. and Annabeth literally like, so you saw another girl? Oh my god, that sucks. On top of the other girl, I was also, already Also, Percy over. wakes up Typhon in this, too. Yeah, because Percy's Oof. that fucking powerful, bro. If I were the gods, I would be pissed. I would be so mad at Poseidon. <laughs> no, Poseidon's literally like, like, fuck you. Poseidon's literally like, no, like, don't worry, bro, you're fine. I and know then, all the gods And then Hephaestus, mad. Hephaestus is like, bro, you don't think you're powerful? You literally just caused an eruption. I would be so mad. I would be like, this guy, this little fucker just made our lives infinitely harder. Now there's- So it's like he can control lava. He can control water. He can control poison. He can't control lava. That's not what happens in this book. That's how he made it explode. No, he pulls water down into the lava and then the steam explosion from the lava and the water meeting is what explodes him out. But he doesn't control the lava. He controls the lava. No, he doesn't. What are you saying? He does not. Yeah. It doesn't make sense for him to control lava. How he would he pour the? He does not. How would he powers. get the water in there? I don't. Arden, there are multiple times in this book where he just randomly makes water appear because he really needs it. That okay. This is the thing. There were so many scenes in this book where Percy needed an out and he well, made he like a water, water explosion. From seeds. Like he was pulling water from. No, things. but he talks about Arden. I read this like literally two days ago. He talks about in the volcanic explosion. He talks about how he wasn't pulling it from seeds. He was pulling it from himself. Like he was like, I have to get it from somewhere, but there's nothing here. And he just like pulled it from inside him. Like that's like how it's like described. And that's what he does at the camp at the end too. When he like pulls in water, he doesn't control the lava. 
it's crazy just because Mount St. Helens, like, really did fucking blow up. But it doesn't say exactly how. It just says he called upon his power in the mountain erupted. Yeah, but I, what I'm telling you is lava powers are not included. <laughs> He's a son of Poseidon. But if poison powers are included, it's very possible lava powers are. No, lava powers are not included. I'm sorry. No, I refuse. The how fire... would they not be included if poison is? Because fire is not even remotely related to water. It is the opposite. There is water in lava. There's That's not how water... it's liquid. <sighs> Oh my god. I don't- I'm sorry. I'm revoking the lava power. I don't care. Does lava have water in it? Lava does contain a lot of water. No, I ref- That's not- You were not supposed to read that scene and think he controlled the lava. The scene literally describes the steam explosion as being what kicks him out of the mountain. Like, you were making him too OP. I refuse. What's OP mean? Overpowered? Overpowered, yeah. And he already reaches very powerful heights in this book. But I will say, too often in this book, I think, Percy's in a trap and he's like, what do I do? And then he just causes a water explosion out of nowhere. It's like, come on, Rick. Let's get a little more creative. Hmm. So lava is like saturated with water, but it doesn't have water literally in it, but there's water around it. Like water floats on the surface of lava. Okay, so he, that's probably where he's getting all yeah. the water from, but then he pushes it into the lava, and the hot and cold mixing and creating steam is, like, the explosion. He can control everything! He can't he control lava! He can't control lava. That is where I draw the line. He can control blood. I, that I also draw the line at, but we're just gonna have to agree to disagree. The lava, I completely am like, that is If he no. can control blood, he can control lava. Honestly, no. there is a lot more water in blood. Though. I don't care. I don't like that he can control blood, so I refuse to acknowledge that it's canon. It's not relevant to the first five books anyway. Which are the only ones I really care about. Control blood. And I think that's dumb, but... Like, imagine if Nico was allowed to, like, control people because of, like, their skeletons. He can. Yeah, I also think that's dumb. Oh my gosh! You're like, every Does power that actually they have happen? Dumb. Yes! By the end of um, Tower of Nero, from what I know, if he just does this and presses his thumb to your forehead, he can control you. That's so dumb. I'm sorry. I draw the line at, like, I really just find any powers where, like, people can, like, control other people mostly to be corny. I like it all right in Avatar when there's, like, the episode about it, and then it's like, okay, we will not be using this at all. But, like... That's basically it. You just have to understand they have the potential. Doesn't mean they use it. They have the potential to do these things. I mean, Tyson's in this book, I mean, too, which is nice. we didn't talk about Compare. Yeah. No, she's big in this book. Like, she's in the beginning when they're at Alcatraz, which is, like, their first stop in the labyrinth. Yeah. And then shows up again at the end during the Battle of Camp Half-Blood, which is kind of full circle. She's, like, interesting, but... She is. She's cool as fuck. She's also evil as fuck. She's yeah. basically, like... I don't know, I feel like her whole thing with the Cyclopses is basically, it's just very, um, what's that word? Like, biased? What do you mean biased? Biased in what way? Like, racism is a type of, it starts with a P. It's prejudice? You yes. think she's prejudiced? Yes, against Cyclopses. Okay. Could you see that? I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't really remember that part of the book, but I think it makes sense. She, like, calls them dumb the whole time, right? Yeah. And she's like, you're nothing. Like, you're worth nothing, basically. Like, <laughs> yeah, I own you. Yeah, she's not a good dude. Not a good woman. The Impusa or whatever are also, Imp- like... The Impusa. Yeah, they're also pretty decent villains in this. Kelly is there until, like, the end. She hits on Luke, like, multiple times, and he's, like, completely unimpressed. Oh, they bring Kelly back in. <laughs> in. Do they? <laughs> yeah, they bring Kelly back in here as a... Or House what does Hades. she do? 
Just, like, um, kill people again? No, she comes back, and she's, like, basically leading other Imposei from um, Tartarus, like, out oh, the doors. Good for her. And then she ends up, or, uh, she's, like, they overhear her in conversation, and she's just, like, you guys can have all the mortals you want, but leave Percy Jackson to me. And then they end up, uh, meeting each other, and basically, it's Percy and Annabeth against, like, six Imposei. And they would have, like, died if not for Bob. But the she, ends up, she ends up dead now. again. Oh. She ends up dead again, basically. But wow. she's literally, like, bloodthirsty. And she's like, Annabeth, don't think I don't remember you stabbing me in the back. He got her at the respawn site, too. That's gotta hurt. Yeah. But also... Close to home. They were kind of wondering. They were like, I wonder if we kill people in Tartarus. Like, do they return? If we kill them, like, while they're already in their place of death? Yeah. But I think that they were like, yeah, they probably do. <laughs> they were like, we don't get away with it that yeah. easily. I just, I can imagine Kelly coming back like every like five years being like, I'm back, bitch. I'm back. Nathan, or Nathan. Ethan, Ethan is also cool. Fucking Ethan. Ethan's bro. cool in this book, honestly. Ethan's horrible in both books. He's what literally a little backstabber. He's not a backstabber. Yes, he is. You'll get to. He's called being a traitor, which I, like, get, I guess. But it's also, like, Percy saved his life, but that doesn't mean that Percy gets to, like, decide what side of the war Ethan ends up on. Percy saved his life, and then Percy was like, all right, let's go. And then he was like, nah, bro, I'm going back with the other dudes. <laughs> that's what i kind of love about ethan <laughs> no but percy's like yeah you are a traitor because i literally saved your life two times in there but that doesn't mean he's a traitor it just means he's like ungrateful and a traitor no he's not a traitor though percy's because percy's saving his him. percy saving his life doesn't mean that like ethan like percy's literally like i shouldn't have saved your now. life bro like percy this is kind of when percy starts developing a little bit of dark thoughts oh, a little bit of dark thoughts <laughs> what We've already talked about it. Percy already has these, like... Yeah, but he's traits. basically, like, I sh- he's, he's, like, he's a traitor. I shouldn't have let him live. <laughs> like, in kind terms. Like, he never explicitly says that, but he's just, like, those are the vibes you're getting from him. You're, like, he would have saved me a lot of effort if he just died. <laughs> it's true, because he then does turn around and resurrect Kronos. <laughs> But he also, literally resurrects Chrono. But also, man, like, it was gonna be, if not <laughs> Ethan, it was gonna be another demigod. Like, it doesn't, But the like, fact that it's Ethan. But the fact that they already had so many demigods that Kronos was already there, like... <laughs> like, yeah. Ethan was, like, the, like, last vote, but there had to be 99 others <laughs> for his to matter, you know? That is crazy. <laughs> well, I don't even know if it would need to be 99, because you have to think about the fact that, like, at Camp Half-Blood, there aren't even, like, 50 at this point. I think Percy actually mentions in this book that there were, like, 100, 150 campers when he first came, and now there's, like, significantly less. Damn. That's where they all went. Yeah. I wonder if a lot of them rejoined the camp after. I don't know. And Percy also makes a comment in this book about how, like, he's never seen the burial shrouds burned with people in them. Which is crazy, because it's like, how many funerals have you seen for people who just didn't come back? Yeah. That's crazy, man. Especially because it's like, those people aren't getting quests, at least that we know. But also, like, he's so young to be seeing so many people dying. I know. Well, it's kind of, it's a little weird, honestly, because I feel like he never mentions anyone dying. Anyone dying. But it's also like, he's like, oh, I've seen so many deaths. (laughs) And it's like, bro, we're with you for all of the important events in your life and none of them have been deaths so far 
But I don't know. I I try not to overthink it because it's definitely one. I mean, of those that's, things. that's true. Not that big a deal. That's true, but it could just be something like we don't see. Yeah, like I'm sure there's like someone like it's not in like camp- after most of the fights that happen, you see like all the people get buried. Yeah, like that doesn't happen after the last Olympian. I feel like in the last Olympian though, they like make note of everyone who dies. Well, it definitely doesn't happen in Heroes of Olympus. None of the people that die ever get buried. Yeah, I'm sure it makes sense for like Percy. Like he gets back from a quest. Like, three months later, or a month later, someone in a cabin dies, but he, like, never knew them or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, there were definitely other quests going on while he was out doing his quests. That I never actually got the vibe of, but I don't know. There have to have been, because Clarice was out on her own oh, quest. Oh, no, that's true. Clarice does get to go on a quest and like, yeah, the Yeah, there are definitely area. other quests that are going on. Yeah. They other missions. Aren't, there aren't of that magnitude. Yeah, well, and Percy doesn't really talk about the others that much. But he also yeah. doesn't really know that much about what's going on in camp in general, I think. Cause yeah, because he's, he's not really there. Most of it. He basically serves the purpose of being the prophecy kid. Other than that, he's like, I do want to like go to school and shit. Like, yeah. I want to have a normal life. He's not there, like, full-time. Yeah. But I think that only, like, a third of them are there full-time. Yeah. I think most of them it is just a summer camp. Because that's discussed in the other series, too. Like, Trials of Apollo... Apollo's like, bro, where are all the kids? And Will's like, it's summer. Or Will's like, it's the school year. Like, they only really come during the summer. Yeah. Because there are only, like, 20 people there. Does Will know that uh, Lester is his dad? Yeah. Lester literally, like, goes in camp and he's like, hey, it's it's the god Apollo here. Uh, Where are all of my servants? Oh, my God. Yeah, like, that's how he shows up. Well, he he technically goes in the camp, like, pass out, but, um, he, as he's walking in, he's, like, getting drowsy and, like, drugged up, and then he, like, yeah. passes out after he, like, tells them who he is. But, I mean, Lester is such a doled-down Apollo. He's, he isn't as good with music. He can't shoot straight. <laughs> like, he can't do that much Apollo-esque things, but really, they're, they're fine. Like, they're just like, oh, hey, dad. This is a little weird, but we'll embrace it, I guess. Because at least we have a dad for now. (laughs) Damn, I would kind of love, like, more, like... Scenes that I would enjoy more of from Rick Riordan are, like, scenes of, like, godly parents, like, interacting with their kids. Yeah. Like, I just would find that fascinating. But I wouldn't read, like, a whole series for it. Like, because they would have to be of the kind of quality of the ones that we get in the first series. Yeah, because there aren't many in the first series, but they're really fucking good. Yeah, I would, like, kill to see, like, Apollo have to talk to one of his kids. In, well, Apollo in talks the first to many series. of his- Oh, yeah, you don't hear any of that. I wish. Like, like as Apollo, not as Because you get at least, Lester, like, half you know. the gods talking to their kids in the first series. Yeah. Or you, you get, get like, Ares. a gist of what they would say to them. Yeah, you like, get their, Ares, their you get dynamic. Dionysus, I want their dynamics! <laughs> I know. I mean, I don't have anything else to talk about. Nothing Battle of Labyrinth specific. Yeah, because basically, like, we're just gearing up for The Last Olympian, and I'm super fucking excited. I'm pumped. I will go in. That might have to be a two-parter. Maybe it'll just be a really fucking long It might just be a really long episode. All right, well, I guess we'll sign off here. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. (laughs)